This year, you're very likely going to be involved in some big meetings, conventions, conferences, trade shows, or kickoffs. You might be just attending, or you may be helping with the program, or presenting, or even planning the thing. Well, today's guest is an expert on corporate and association meetings from every side. She is not only a successful keynote speaker, but also a certified meeting professional who knows what is changing and what is working in the big business of meetings. So let's get the most out of your meetings with Deborah Gardner on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Carr. Today, we're going to have a great conversation about meetings. No, no, don't worry. We're not talking about these weekly stand-up staff meetings or the interminable budget meetings or the special task force meeting about the office recycling program. No, we're talking about the big, more strategically important meetings, the face-to-face ones that are most typically about organizational change, the annual meeting, the association convention, the sales kickoff, and it's timely. As we're recording this episode, I'm helping one client create messages they'll use for a company-wide sales kickoff meeting, prepping a speech for an association's conference. Another client just held their annual users conference and 18,000 people showed up. And I just saw where Amazon Web Services had their annual conference called RE Invent, and 50,000 attendees came to Las Vegas. So even in a more mobile and virtual age, maybe especially in a more mobile and virtual age, in-person meetings remain important. Why is that? Well, as today's guest has noted on her website and her keynote speeches, 78% of employees say they're open to change. Yet only 10% of companies and organizations are fully acknowledging that what worked yesterday isn't working well enough today. I find it's difficult, if not impossible, to affect real change in an organization without actually getting people together. You have to involve a lot of people to make the case for change, and you need to socialize the change publicly, visibly, consistently. That's why organizations and high-performing professionals spend the time and money to meet and to be around experts and their peers. It's about change. The mandate for change of some sort becomes more important than the venue, the food, what's at the cash bar, or the entertainment. One of the things that's really cool about our guest, Deborah Gardner, is that she isn't only a successful keynote speaker. She's also a CMP, or Certified Meeting Professional. She knows a lot about the meetings business, and it is a big business. Deborah speaks about selling, negotiation, and especially the breakthrough mindset that's necessary for change. And that offers us a lot of overlap to talk about today because the very nature of why organizations meet And what they're doing before, during, and after those important meetings is itself changing rapidly. Deborah Gardner is going to sort it all out for us and make some sense of it. Deborah, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. For you message managers, just to give you some context, Deborah and I first met in person at the big annual convention, no surprise, of the National Speakers Association where Deborah was leading a session talking about trends 
in the meetings business. So if you can imagine everyone, imagine a speaker and meeting professional speaking to speakers about meetings. I guess all of the planets were aligned and there was probably a uh, solar eclipse happening outside at the same time. Uh, Deborah, you said something in that session that resonated with me so much, I wrote it down verbatim. And here's what I had from my notes. Quote, I can't think of any significant relationship with a client or colleague that hasn't been built on face-to-face conversations or meetings, end quote. So is that why meetings are so strategically important to individual professionals and to organizations today? Well, you definitely are a good listener and uh, took away a huge golden nugget from that session because that is very, very true. Meetings cannot survive or live without the face-to-face interaction that needs to exist. It's a platform where you know networking happens and deals are made. It's just a, a need since the first day and time that there was a meeting. And the positive business outcomes generated are by people. And the best way to do that is through face-to-face. You know, there's no substitute for a handshake and the value of the network, like I mentioned. And there are concrete, tangible outcomes that come from personal connections. And yes, that is why meetings are so strategically important. You know, the business leaders today say that face-to-face actually improves engagement. At least 91% of them say that. 94% of, of business leaders believe that collaboration is that important. And 88% believe professional development and 84% believe that's where the productivity comes from. So if the business leaders believe that face-to-face has its value, then it's definitely proven that meetings need to continue that way. Whether it's small, one-on-one to large conventions, everyone, everyone benefits. And even the meetings industry benefits having it you know, done by face-to-face as well, because it had created about 5.9 million jobs and generating commerce and building strong communities along the way. So the only way that anyone can raise their voice is advocacy, their products or their services is done face-to-face. I mean, it's something powerful. It's something definitely personal at the same time. And that's how the positive effect on the economy of $845 billion as of impact comes into play just through face-to-face. And the last report that we had was 2016 of 1.9 million meetings took place in the United States. So that's not even globally. So you can see the the significance and the impact that face-to-face brings is very, very important. Those are really big numbers, bigger than I think a lot of us might have even, uh, even imagined. But at the same time, of course, there's been the rise of technology around video conferences, virtual meetings. That usage has just exploded in recent years. Uh, I use them all the time. I'm sure our listeners do as well. And so I'm wondering to the extent that you see kind of an either or or a hybrid approach of people getting together. And from your experience, Deborah, what are the limits that you see in terms of using virtual, especially when you're trying to get real organizational change, getting people around a big initiative? And at the same time, are you seeing ways where 
virtual and face-to-face can be combined to get the most impact? Yeah, that's a really good question because this is something that is not going to go away. And it has been tested a number of years ago. At first, virtual was a threat to face-to-face meetings. Back in uh, 2009, 50% of executives said that they traveled less because of the virtuality process. But by 2010, the following year, virtual meetings grew 80% globally. So there was definitely that threat that happened back then within that one-year time span. People saw a decrease in face-to-face meetings. But what happened, which was really interesting, Jim, is eight years later, there was a study by PCMA, which is an organization that holds about 7,000 members. It's, it's got the most members of the travel industry. And PCMA, Professional Convention Management Association, actually had created an online content and they generated that during their conferences to see what would happen. Would there be more people that would listen virtually or would people still travel and attend their conferences? And the virtual side of things made about $1 million while attendance at the live event actually grew at the same time, which was a very interesting statistics back then and was very confusing. Okay, are people going to be virtual or are they going to go live or or it just depends on their situation? As a matter of fact, PCMA grew about 1,800 new members just because of the online conference. But what's even more interesting today, virtual conferences, or as they call them, or virtual meetings, have become a strategic tool for growing face-to-face programs today. So mainly what they're finding out is people still want to interact and they still have what they call the FOMO, fear of missing out. So when they experience something virtually and seeing what's going on live, it's almost like they want to be there. So the next year they sign up to actually be there. So it depends on people's schedule, and we do live in a very fast lane today. They have now an option. Do I want to watch this virtually or do I want to attend? But either way, it really has been very successful virtually and face-to-face. And that's a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. And so it's not just an either-or or dividing the pie. Right. It's actually making the pie bigger. Exactly. You know, I would suspect a lot of it has to do with what we might call the use case or the really the big idea behind meeting in the first place. If really you're just dispensing information, then that can happen just as well virtually as it can in person. It is more efficient that way. But if you're really trying to win hearts and minds, if you're trying to build relationships, that sort of thing, virtual has real limitations there. So maybe even combining I I suspect that with PCMA, it might have been people who go to a live event and still want to refer to uh, the recordings later. Right, right. Yeah. Big time benefits from both sides. So that's all good news. Really good news. You, Deborah, are a certified meeting professional, Mm -hmm. which seems to be at the, the high part of the food chain here in the people who really make this a business and what they're doing. And so I'd like to talk for a little bit on that side of the equation pass along some rather spotty personal experience that I have with planning meetings. So when I was a 
a chief marketing officer a few years ago. It came to me to plan an annual meeting for independent distributors. We were in the bottled water business. And we did that, had it in a couple of different locations. And those went well. It was, uh, it was pretty stressful. And if I went back in my DeLorean and I made, you know, back in time to think of different decisions, I think most of it, I would do the same, but there were a couple of those. I thought, well, we probably could have done that a little bit differently. I also think my wife, Allison, who once had the title of event planner, shortly after we were married and I was teaching and she ran events for the University of Alabama Law School. And it was very important for the school's reputation and included fundraising events and included a couple of visits from U.S. Supreme Court justices that I remember at the time. And when I think back, Deborah, to those times, so either I was planning something, even though not necessarily equipped or trained to do so, or I was going through, uh, through this experience kind of through and helping my wife and people would say, oh, it must be so cool. You get to check out the venues and you get to sample the food and all that sort of thing. But I came to appreciate firsthand and secondhand, this is hard work. And it seemed like a lot more downside risk than upside benefit. And one of the things then coming back to when you gave your uh, session at the NSA meeting, I believe you quoted some research that the job of an event professional is one of the most stressful ones in any industry. Yes. Why is that? And, and how can we help appreciate the job of the person or even sometimes the committee that actually has to put these things together? Yes, yes. Well, oh gosh, we can talk about this all day because I can totally relate to you and your wife's experience being a, a meeting professional. And by the way, the terminology for the industry has really changed from meeting planner, event planner to meeting professional and event professional because someone like yourself and your wife have been involved in the meetings. Anybody today can actually be a meeting or event professional. It's not necessarily a job duty anymore because there's so many influencers out there. And it has created stress because it could be the lack of training. It could be an enormous amount of meetings. Like I said, 1.9 million. There's a meetings and different types of meetings and different moving pieces to the logistics of a meeting and event that no one really can understand until you actually do handle it firsthand like you and your wife did. As a matter of fact, my mother was a meeting planner back then when she planned for the tennis star legend, Billie Jean King, the World Team Tennis Organization. And I remember reviewing contracts with her and how to learn to even negotiate those contracts was just a big piece of that logistic. So you're right. Until you actually experience it firsthand, it's hard to understand how difficult and stressful this job really is. And when you were referring to the statistics, that actually came from Edelman Intelligence that actually did a study on the top 10 most stressful jobs in 2018. And for the third year in a row, in the same order, here are the top five. Number one was military personnel. Number two, fighter fighters. Number three, airline pilots. Number four, police officers. And number five, meeting and event professionals. So, and just like, you know, police officers and fighter fighters, meeting and event professionals will tell you 
that in their world, they actually are the first responders for a lot of different types of crisis. Now, their crisis might be a little bit different simply that, you know, it's, it's not a burning house or somebody having a heart attack, but yet it could be an attendee complaining that the room is too cold or too hot. That's still a fire they have to put out. And they're the ones that have to take a look at the big picture and deal with the small details. And that can be, you know, and you've experienced it, you and your wife have experienced it. It can be from budgeting to people, you know, wanting different meal options to live animal events and even where attendees pass away during the meeting. There's so much involved to take care of within their duties. And it comes down to the truth that, you know, there's so many fast moving puzzles within just a few hours of an event or a meeting. And it's really amazing to see how much has to be done. And to appreciate what they do is just by experiencing it firsthand. And I think a lot of the pressures are both kind of before and during the event, but also afterward. When I've spoken with people who these days, in current times, have those sorts of responsibilities or doing some research of kind of common challenges for meeting professionals, the things that tended to come up were limited budgets, which is always the case, right? Keeping up with technology, providing engaging content that's also relevant. So they have to arrange speakers and experts and put all of that together. And also the ever-present proving ROI. We're all here about affecting change, affecting perception and behavior. And yet, you know, oftentimes that meeting professional has uh, limited leeway. You know, what, what is it that I can do that's going to affect someone's behavior 30 days or 60 days or 180 days after the event? So, but are those the common types of pressures and challenges that, that you hear from your peers in the meetings world? Yes, you're right on. Just not only these areas, many other areas, but yes, these definitely are the, the challenges that they face mostly along technology. Again, the trying to stay up with all the ever-changing new apps that are coming out, new technology-wise. They're going to have to start dealing with robots coming in and utilizing their registration table process, communication, communication with the attendees or now they're called participants, and the apps that are out there, like Slack, Slack is an app that is becoming more well-known, and getting used to the different types of way to communicate when it has to do with technology. Data, data is a big challenging area for them right now because in order to find the historical data of the meeting, there needs to be more, I guess, streamlined processes for them to gather data. And of course, the safety and security side of meetings have become a huge challenge. They're dealing with not only active shooters, hurricanes, but they're also dealing with the security of technology. They're dealing with sexual harassment and even all kinds of you know, different types of threats that can happen during a meeting. Even if it's just a simple hiccup, that is considered a challenge to them. So yes, they're throwing a lot of balls in the air and trying to catch them all at once and hoping nothing lands and breaks on the floor. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely, it adds to the stress, <laughs> the stress level that they have to deal with. You bet. And, and we haven't even gotten into the particulars, as you mentioned, of yeah. food choices uh -huh. or the thermostat in the meeting hall or uh, you know, any of those other things that people can fixate on. I think the changes in technology is really interesting area when you think about events in a world where our expectations 
you know, with apps, the ease of technology and all that is, has been set from other experiences in other companies and providers. And so I'm curious as what you have seen that's working the best. You mentioned Slack as, as a communication channel. Correct. But when it comes to gaining attendance to the meetings, keeping people engaged and on time and energized, impacting their behavior after the meeting, what have been some of the good uses of technology and what have you seen that's working? Well, it's interesting because technology is definitely getting easier, but yet it is changing so quickly too. A couple of years ago, a technology guru by the name of James Spellows and I actually did a program. It was actually a debate. His debate was, you know, technology works. Mine was all about face-to-face. And we did this in front of an audience, a couple audiences, like a murder mystery, where we would debate which was better and the audience would choose. And yes, of course, a lot of times technology would win, but also a lot of times face-to-face would win. So I'm seeing a combination of utilizing technology and also putting their phones away. It's definitely there. It's definitely helping improve meetings, but also the new technology platforms that are coming out are also challenging because they have to get used to that. But every time a piece of technology is released to the meetings industry, it actually is becoming more user-friendly. It's interesting you mentioned that because, again, not necessarily an either-or. I think it becomes more of a yes-and. I've been at meetings within the past year that seemed to do a really nice job. They would have uh, custom apps for the event. They'd have you know, really nice ways to kind of walk you through and help people plan their preferences and their daily schedules. But they would also have meditation rooms, you know, massage yes. stations, things like that. As you say, there are times where we're intensely into that and others where we're trying to get more into face-to-face and, and other times that are complete tech-free unwinding areas. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I totally agree with you, but, it, but the meetings industry, it changes every single day. So you and I could be talking about this today and things are going to change tomorrow. And I think that's what, you know, keeps drawing us back to why we love this industry and why people like to be involved with meetings, because no matter what meeting you or event you go to, there's something different going on. And it really uh, helps us, you know, utilize our knowledge and our networking channels to, uh, to help better the businesses that we're trying to accomplish. This is a a good point. I'd like to make a little bit of a transition, Deborah, into from one area, you know a lot about the impact of the meetings business and what's working and the like, but you also speak a lot at meetings and uh, and settings about organizational change. And so let's talk about how those those circles should be overlapping. I think back to how most, at least big, uh, whether they be associations or corporations, or if it's you know some sort of specific event, generally has a unifying theme, you know. And sometimes it can be a little. In the past, it may have been a, a bit vague and cheesy. What I seem to be seeing is that they tend to be very specific and strategic now. So it might be around the customer experience. It might be around you know it could be all sorts of things like that. You know, creating an engaging workplace, etc. Right. So the the theme right. itself relates to some change initiative or at least some place that the organization and its participants or its employees should be going. So I'm curious is what you're seeing in terms of 
the major themes and objectives for change around meetings these days? And is does that itself represent a change, at least from your perspective? Yes, yes, definitely. That's a very good question because the themes do change depending on the goals and objectives of the organization or the company. And every organization and company, they try to streamline what it is that their attendees, their employees or participants, whoever is attending, really get their needs met. And a lot of times these organizations actually do an assessment. And as a a keynote speaker, it's always important to ask that and find out what is the bottom line need that their employees or their attendees or, or members are looking for. So it all depends on the goals and objectives. But what I am seeing as far as a trend right now, we see a lot of team building happening. And I think a lot of that has to do with because of the multi-generations the companies, organizations are trying to close that gap. And so they have a lot of team building events that happen. I see leadership being a really hot topic and a theme because they're trying to pretty much get the millennials on board into those positions, you know, before not too long because of the boomers kind of, you know, getting to the point of retirement. And then also health and wellness, health and wellness from all different generations are important now. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're starting to see different food options being served at these conventions. And so health and wellness, you know, whether it's a yoga class or a silent moment, or just being knowledgeable on health and wellness is becoming much more important across the board. But overall, what the theme really is that these organizations and companies are looking for today, and I see this happening more into the future, is for keynote speakers or trainers to bring the confidence level up for their participants. It's all about making their people more confident, really no matter what topic or theme it could be. But overall, confidence is what they want their people to walk away with. That's a very interesting point. And When you were getting to some of the themes that you've seen around team building, leadership, I think that relates a lot to the pressures from the external environment that are on companies and professionals these days. When you have a more distributed, disparate workforce, people work different schedules, sometimes from a home office, they're more separated in many ways than ever and more mobile and using all of these other virtual tools, it's hard to do team building. Uh, And it's harder to lead in those sorts of environments. And then you mentioned about health and wellness and stress and engagement, those sorts of things. I guess those arise. There's a, there is a war for talent these days. And a lot of people have a hard time finding and keeping key people. A lot of individual professionals who may be part of an association or running a small company, you know, they find themselves kind of pulled in, in 18 different directions and trying to be effective and have, (laughs) have complete lives at the same time. So that makes a lot of sense. And those sorts of themes and objectives arise out of where the individual participants and the organizations are trying to go. And now I'll say you mentioned as a a speaker from that perspective as being an expert, being a provider into those meeting environments about building confidence. Maybe you could drill down into that just a little bit more in, in the role of a where a speaker or an expert fits into these sorts of things and how can... You can't do a whole lot sometimes when a keynote address or even a a breakout session and the like, but how do you see content providers and speakers 
being able to raise both an awareness, but also a confidence level around some of these big issues. That's going to be the key because that is such a new term or theme that is being requested. But what I have seen as far as thinking about this and how I would even apply into my training or, or keynotes is to make sure that they're able to participate or interactively test out the message or the topic or the information given. In other words, speakers have to start letting go and trainers have to start letting go of control of putting this all together for them because attendees, that's, I think that's why the, the whole attendee terminology is going away because attendees come to consume, whereas participants come to be interactive and they're not going to be spectators. They want to participate. And so to help build that confidence, I truly believe having them participate right there, right then, immediately, so they know how to utilize the material or the information given before they walk out that door back to their office, back into their real world. So it's almost like a test drive before driving a car off the lot. You wouldn't just buy a car looking at it. You actually have to test drive it around town to see if this is going to be the car for you. It's the same thing that we as keynoters or educators or trainers, facilitators, coaches, even speaker bureaus out there, we really need to help find a way to help build the confidence. Again, I believe all through participation immediately. And you know, it's interesting when you bring in a notion of confidence. I just want to build upon this really quickly. I think that's very true. Part of confidence is actually doing something. If you take a new idea or a new skill or a new facility, and apply it there in the moment. Don't filter it too much and especially get a few reps at applying it to how it may attach to your professional world once the meeting's over. And another element, and I think it's why face-to-face meetings will remain important, especially when there's big change afoot, Mm -hmm. is that not only do you get confidence from knowing, hey, this is something I can do from a participant's perspective, but also oh, I see all my peers doing the same thing. You mentioned going to a, a, uh, a car lot, right? And there is some online shopping for cars that happens today. It's very efficient. From a seller's perspective, it, it pays to have a big crowd at the car lot so that if I'm looking at cars, I can see what everyone else is doing and it gives me a little bit more sense of urgency and the sense of what's popular. So that is a, a psychological underpinning. So when you have a a big change initiative, it's you want people to do that thing and you want them to see other people doing it too, right? Right. And again, this confidence theme is very new and it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out because I think everybody really needs new confidence today and how it's going to be applied is going to be very interesting to see what you know speakers, trainers, facilitators, and coaches do in the coming years. So it's something that I don't believe that's going to go away. It's, it's just getting bigger and better because work and live in the fast lane and we need some support. And the more confidence people have, the more successful they're going to be, including within their company and organizations. Deborah, I have one more big type of question here. Oh, good. Expertise and guidance. And it gets into this, this issue as well. I remember 
oh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, I, I wrote a blog post. The title was Too Many Meetings End at Halftime. And so my thought was that, you know, a meeting, be it again, for an association with its members, for a, a company or a, a not-for-profit, whatever that, that uh-huh. may be, in the middle of some change initiative. It's not the very beginning. The things have built up to it. And then the meeting happens. But the meeting truly is only successful if something different happens right. later, right? And so you speak a lot about change and the change mindset. So again, what do you see that's working? What are some good practices for whether it be the individual or especially the leadership of an organization, they're planning their meeting, there are changes in behavior and perspective and priority that they want to be happening after the meeting's over. Not just the people enjoyed, you know, that they felt entertained, that they felt engaged in the moment of the meeting, but that something important's different. 90, right. 120, and the next time we get back together, what are you seeing that works in making change stick mm-hmm. after a meeting? Well, this is an excellent question because a lot of meetings and conventions have a tendency to get their you know, employees and attendees all pumped up and then poof, you know, back to the office again and everything is the same. And that, everyone's catching up on you. Yeah, email. exactly. And that is what's been the trend and it hasn't been successful. But what a speaker, a trainer or a facilitator or whoever is heading up a meeting, whether it's one-on-one to a large convention, really needs to take the strategy approach of having a pre-con and a post-con. And I've learned this when I was in the hospitality meetings industry. A pre-con is just like as if it was a business plan for a startup company. You have to have all your goals and objectives in place. And part of that goals and objective is to find out what is it that you're going to do after. So when you have a post-con after the meeting, that's where you're going to say, okay, this is what we've learned. Now, what do we need to do with it? And I'm a big advocate to know and to get leadership involved because leadership must be on board to help this process. And there's been a lot of leadership that go back to the office. And like you said, go to email and and employees and attendees do the same thing because they follow their leaders. But if you can get the leadership on board, whether they have a pre-con together and then having a post-con, this will spread throughout the company and organization. It's all about follow-up and accountability, but it has to be planned and strategized in what I call the pre-con. So once you know that at the beginning, this is what we're going to do, then people will start looking for that, those golden nuggets and those, those ways of information and material that needs to be utilized in the follow-up accountability process. But all too often, companies and organizations just drop the ball, and I don't like seeing that. You definitely want to see the momentum not only there, but you want it to pick up and have everybody accountable. So that's what makes a change in an organization or a company. It isn't just the presence or absence of shrimp rolls. Right. That's right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Deborah Gardner, it's, uh, this has been terrific. And, and learning oh. about what's happening in the meetings world as a, uh, as a provider, as a meeting professional, and what you're seeing in terms of organizations there. 
How can people learn more about you and your keynotes and your services? Oh, well, thank you. This has been a delight because we can talk about this all day long. We'll have to probably do another segment another time, but there's so much to it and into the meetings world. And I hope this will help the appreciation of what the meeting and event professionals do and take meetings more seriously on uh, not only how they're put together, but the purpose and of what meetings are all about. But anybody can get a hold of me at DebraGardner.com. Right there is all my contact information. And I would be delighted if anybody had any extra questions or stories that they want to share. Be happy to, to help in any way to keep the face-to-face of meetings alive. Outstanding. We will put Deborah Gardner's information in our show description, and I would be delighted if you will join us in a future episode and we can continue to talk about what's changing and what is foundationally working in the meetings world. Absolutely. Be delighted and how anyone can get involved in in the meeting process at the same time. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. My thanks to Deborah Gardner for bringing her expertise from both sides of the meetings equation. One of the big takeaways that I had was about technology, especially the technology around virtual meetings, virtual conferencing. It has not ultimately hurt the face-to-face meetings business. And because that really isn't an either-or situation, face-to-face meetings represent a proven way to affect change. So unless we expect the pace of change to decline, and I don't know anyone paying attention who does expect the pace of change to decline, then face-to-face meetings will continue to play an important role. So the key is to be strategic and intentional in your approach. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe. And please take a brief moment to rate and offer your five-star review. That will make it easy for other professionals to join the fun. For more insights you can use in your business, I offer the Message Manager Memo, a free weekly email with practical tips It's a short read that you'll actually enjoy seeing in your inbox. You can sign up at jimcarr.com. That's K-A-R-R-H. And if you're planning a meeting and your organization and the participants are placing a priority on growth, then by all means, let's talk. My keynotes and sessions help professionals gain knowledge, skill, and confidence for their everyday business conversations all year long which is one of the fastest and most direct avenues for growth. You can email me directly at jim at jimcard.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.